Hi, I'm Nicole Freischlag. And I'm Katherine Plotzik, and this is Cultivating Space. Thank you for coming back. We're so excited about this episode. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> this week we are talking about sustainability. Ew! So, sus- yeah, <laughs> you can't see us, but we're doing the excited face. <laughs> yeah, very much. So sustainability, we kind of want to just start with an introduction. What does it mean? How How do you define it, Catherine? Oof. So... Sustainability is a buzzword for right now. So along with so many other things. So I'm going to list some of those things and um, maybe we can talk a little bit about language. So there's fair trade, there's eco-friendly, there's organic, free range, pasture raised, natural, GMO free, recycled, responsibly sourced, compostable, biodegradable, uh, zero waste, regenerative, etc. So in my um, not expert opinion, (laughs) (laughs) sustainability is kind of like the umbrella over all of these Um, and all of these other words um, we may or may not talk about, um, but they kind of are giving a holistic look into um, every area that sustainability actually touches. So you're seeing that fair trade. So we're talking about like treating creators and workers with fair wages and in equitable like conditions. We're talking about animals when we're talking about free range and pasture raised. We're talking about food when it's organic, natural, or GMO free. We're talking about how things break down when it's compostable, biodegradable. We're also talking about, um, like where products come from or how they're created when they're responsibly sourced or recycled. Um, And then zero waste has come onto the scene and that's basically no plastic and no waste is generated through whatever product or lifestyle that you're following. And then regenerative is... We can talk a little bit more about that, but possibly more evolved than sustainable. If you think about the word sustain, it means to keep the status quo. And regenerative means to regenerate. So to um, evolve or have more nutrition or have more life or more growth. So to me... Sustainability is being mindful or simplistic in how we interact with the world, fellow humans, other living things, inanimate things. Um, and, and I feel like our relationship and understanding of sustainable 
practices is just now exploding. Like we are learning so much. What about you? What does what does uh, your distilled <laughs> definition sound um, I like? I think pretty much the same place you ended up is living in harmony with nature and with people. So to me, the word that comes to mind is shalom, which is a word that I love, mm. which pretty much just means that. It means harmony. All things in the world living in harmony. It's the way that the world was created to be, but is not. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And I think the other part of it is is kind of like you mentioned being mindful. So I think thinking about others, meaning people and the land, as you're making decisions about your life, what you consume, your behaviors. And so it's mm-hmm. not, sometimes when I think about sustainable, I just think of like carbon footprint. Like for me, that's, I don't know what mm-hmm. I have associated with it. And, but it's actually a lot more than that. Even like the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention defines it. And they said that incorporating sustainability into your lifestyle means becoming more aware of the impact of your choices in food products and energy use. Mm. And like yes. the Environmental Protection Agency says to pursue sustainability is to create and maintain the conditions under which humans and nature can exist in productive harmony to support present and future generations. Like mm-hmm. that's a big word <laughs> that is yes. so much more than carbon footprint. It's so much more than just fair trade. It's just this bigger picture of how can we make choices and change our behaviors so that we are respecting and honoring the people that those choices affect, the land that those choices affect so that everything can be more harmonious. Yes. Shalom. I love that. Um, I wanted to preface, um, at least my perspective. I'm not an expert (laughs) and, um, I am still continually learning um, but some of my most recent learnings comes from one of my favorite podcasts, and that is um, All of My Good Relations, and it is co-hosted by two amazing Indigenous women, and they talk often of the good way, which is what I think sustainability is. So in um, native culture, it's a touchstone, uh, vernacular to talk about the good way. So that that's in relation to how they view the land. It's in relation to how they see their, um, brothers and sisters, like the, the animals or inanimate objects as well. So rocks, rivers, the ocean, bodies of water, mountains. Um, And what is also cool is that they take that to the human relations of how to interact with their fellow people in uh, how to ensure that that relationship, that they're in good relationship, (laughs) like good 
good yeah. relations. Um, and that, that mindfulness of being aware of what is the good way, but also what is the not good way. And I think that's in very much, uh, polar opposite of what our, um, mainstream media or economy or politicians, um, what the mainstream culture says. So that's, that's, I wanted to preface that that's currently where I'm coming from in this conversation. Um, and that might be helpful for you all to understand when Nicole and I are talking about this. To add to that, I'm also not an expert. (laughs) This episode actually made me really nervous because I just feel like I have so, so much more that I could be doing and that I feel like I should be doing in regards to sustainability. But I was just reminding myself getting ready for this. The point of all of our words this season is not what we are experts at. It's what we care about and what we believe is important. So that's our... That's our lens, Agreed. right? That's where we're coming from is not saying we know all the things We're we're giving you a lecture about this. Take notes. It's just saying these are two people who care about this. And this is kind of where we're at right now. And just what we're thinking about in regards to sustainability. And I, I want our listeners to understand that we are learning these topics alongside you, like how many times we've had different epiphanies in our conversations oh, yeah. that you've listened to already. So we are learning right alongside Absolutely. you. It's a process. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Nicole, I'm really curious. You have been super pivotal in my own um, journey towards living more sustainably um, being more, more mindful about how I live and consume in this world. Um, what's your story about coming to know and practice sustainable? So it uh, started in college. So I grew up in Colorado Springs and then went to college in San Diego at Point Loma Nazarene University. And the school, so it was a Christian school but fairly, I guess you could say liberal as far as Christian schools go. They had this huge focus on, I guess what you would call sustainability. It wasn't maybe as much of a buzzword then, but like we had a recycling drive and, you know, we had the demonstration where you like gather all the bags of trash from the cafeteria and like put them in the field so everyone can see them. And, you know, like it was this, it was a big part of the culture to focus on how we're being good stewards And I I think that was driven from this kind of Christian perspective of, you know, God has given us all of these things. Are we being Mm -hmm. responsible with them? Generally, no. And how can we be better at that? Um, So it really, and that was a culture-wide thing at my school. It wasn't like one class that I took. It was, I don't know, it just permeated the whole culture. It was, this is what people care about. And you just kind of jumped on board if you wanted to. And that's where I really started learning. and questioning choices that I had been making. I mean, even at that point in time, my um, parents at home didn't recycle. So like starting small, right? And I came back from college and was like, mom, we have to recycle. She's like, well, I don't really know, you know, I don't know. And I was like, no, we have to. (laughs) 
And so she was like, fine, if you look it up, do all the research, you know, we'll pay for it. And so I did. I like, you know, found the place and got the can. And I remember one conversation telling my dad, you know, talking about recycling things. And he's like, okay, fine. Like, great. I'll get on board. He's like, but I will not wash out a jar of peanut butter. Like, I won't do it. I'm drawing the line. (laughs) And I was like, that's fine. You know, like, recycle the things that are easier to recycle. I don't care. But so long story short, they ended up totally pivoting and have come a long ways. I have seen my dad scrub out jars of peanut butter to recycle them (laughs) for the record. (laughs) My mom had a compost in her kitchen when we were living downtown with the garden. I mean... It's really cool just to see how they've come on their own journey, right? That was not, I wasn't sitting there telling them they had to do any of that, but it just, it's been a long journey for sure. (laughs) Um, So that was really the beginning for me. And then also when I studied abroad, when I was in college in Uganda, just the perspective shift of coming from a culture of excess into not that I don't I don't know if scarcity is the right word but definitely a culture that was not about consumption and overconsumption and it was much more minimalistic and so that influenced my journey as well and le- that's also where I was introduced to things like fair trade um kind of learning about the people behind where the things I buy come from and just being concerned for them because I think I had that more kind of global perspective of oh it's not just about me over here in America and the things I buy. So that was my journey. Where did yours start? (laughs) When you were talking, I specifically have this memory, which wasn't like the first point of my story, but I have to share because (laughs) you're going to laugh. I remember both of us living on the prairie and they didn't have really a recycling program at the school. So the art room, which I taught in, became the recycling hub. And you collected all of like the papers from your room. I don't know if we collected from other classrooms, but definitely you're in my classroom. And then we took turns taking it into town to recycle. Like Gung we ho. were... <laughs> this is... that was like in 2011, 12, 13. So that, um, yeah, we, we were the recycling program at our school. We were, I did a, I was teaching life science and I did a like recycling Mm -hmm. drive with my kids that was go find all the things in your house you can recycle. And I don't think I really thought about what was going to happen at the end, (laughs) but then I had all of these bags of stuff that I had to just take trips in my car into town to recycle them. It took forever, just like car full of trash to recycle. That's so funny. Um, I, my mom was huge in the way of educating us. I think we, we were like maybe middle school when, um, we started collecting recycle recycle bowls at our house, and um, we they didn't have like a a pickup um, program at that time, but we drove across town, and like she always made sure us kids were her helpers. Mm-hmm. 
and took the the recycling. So that was really instilled in me at a, a fairly young age. And then um, my mom has been a gardener for all of my life. Um, and that really shaped a lot of things. We grew up with compost. We grew up like getting so excited about the baby worms <laughs> and like knowing the whole worm cycle. Yeah, that's <laughs> life awesome. Cycle. Um, and my mom and dad, um, I'm not really even sure what our like actual financial situation was growing up, but we lived and breathed hand-me-downs from like ARC or Goodwill. Like we got all of our clothes at the thrift store. So I think um, from a very young age, I learned that consumption or consumerism wasn't necessarily ingrained in my DNA. Um, And it was only like later when I got to college that that became Hmm. like a thing for me. But then, so I met Nicole and like Nicole had all the science that I like didn't understand. And Nicole had a huge understanding of food and like how food connects to health and wellness. And then in turn, how food also connects to um, the wellness of the land and um can you can you talk a little bit more about like how you like started that knowledge cuz that really is the basis of like how we bonded in the prairie and like why we it became such a core value of ours Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot behind that, I think, that's hard to distill down. I think for me, yeah, I don't know how I ended up there. Probably just genetics classes in college. Talking about, I mean, I think specifically some a lot of it came from like GMOs and learning about those. Yeah. And then I don't, I was really into Joel Salatin at the time. And I don't know where that came from or started, but it was just this idea of the ways that you can farm and grow crops so that you're creating better land as opposed to generally when you have huge, you know, mono crop fields with GMOs, your land is worse for wear afterwards. Right, which is why you have to use so many chemicals and stuff to be able to continue to grow. And there's certainly reasons for doing that. There are certainly benefits of GMOs. Like, I get all of that. But this idea was more of if you wrote, you know, the rotating of crops and you have the cows that contribute this and the chickens that contribute this, and that it kind of goes back to the way the world was designed was not monocrop fields, right? The way the world is designed is integration of all of these different species together diversity yeah you get the most productivity that way the most life and benefits far beyond your one field and so I think that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I was coming from at that time which keeping in mind we were living out on the prairie surrounded by 
monocrop fields, lots of which were GMOs. So it was, it would, there's a tension there, right? And I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, we were learning this and trying to explore it and figure out what it means for us. But I, especially as the science teacher there wanted, wanted to be really sensitive and say, Hey, I know this is your livelihood and I'm not trying to say you shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to wonder if there could be a different way. Like, that's the way that I want to explore. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, you had a lot of intense conversations with students. Yeah. And and this is the land of, like, FFA and Future Farmers of America, for those of you who are not ingrained in that culture. But um, FFA is... is, um, funded mainly by large uh, pesticide companies. And um, that's, I mean, that's where they are getting their knowledge from and their perspective. So um, it was super radical for Nicole to be even having this conversation with students, especially high school students who are thinking about going into the field of farming or agriculture business, agribusiness. And um, so I was really proud of you throughout that season of your life, (laughs) our life. So that, so like, Going back to my story, I feel like what I shared before was like my part one, my chapter one (laughs) of sustainability. And now I'm in part two, which is um, I myself am a serious gardener and was part of a um, community garden where we learned like very radical ways to garden and to think about taking care of the land. And so I feel like my first chapter was a lot of learning and now I'm actually putting some of those things into practice, um, in like co-creation with the land and with plants and, um, yeah, I'm really loving this chapter of my life. That's so, I think that, that tangible connection is so important. Um, so we, we have both read this book Well, I'm almost done called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And it is amazing. Um, but so she is an indigenous woman and a biology biologist. And she talks about her with her students trying to, teach them that it's more than just biology and terms and Latin names of things that the land has things to teach you. And that's just what you made me think Mm. of. It just sounds like you're learning from the land, like you're in it, you're with it. And I think that brings a lot of richness into this conversation, right? Is actually having those tangible experiences and not, it's not just, talk in a classroom somewhere. Yeah. If if you guys have not read Braiding Sweetgrass, I highly recommend it. It's um it is 
the most beautiful um, book I've read about interacting with the land as a human. And um, it is also um, so rich in righteous, I'm going to say righteous anger, because she does talk about her, um, how, you know, the white man has stripped the Native community from their relationship with the land. And it was, um, for me, that's how I actually found all of my good relations, because I, I wanted to find more contemporary voices um, who are talking about uh, Native issues. And um, so I'm very appreciative of Braiding Sweetgrass and her science background allows you to understand the intricacies of what she's explaining, but she has such a poetic way of going about it that you literally fall in love and it it challenges you and makes you think critically about your own practices and how you live your daily life and um one of the most pivotal stories in the book you're gonna have to help me with the the chapter um name but it's like it's this story about um this monster that comes about in the winter. I think it starts with a W, but that's not super helpful for all of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> this this monster um, follows um, follows like lone humans through winter wa- winter wonderlands <laughs> <laughs> um, during blizzards, and um, this monster. Um, thrives when the human is um, consuming more Mm. than he or she needs. And so it's, it is a direct parable about what you just mentioned of living in that um, mindset of consuming over abundantly and, um, and forgetting to think about the larger community, whether that is our like human community or like our community of animals and the land and mushrooms and all those other things. Um, so yes, very beautiful. I highly recommend. um, I'm just going to pull a quote that I feel like hits on what you're saying. Um, I have so many from her book. I just couldn't even (laughs) cut them down. So um, she says, if we are fully awake, a moral question arises as we extinguish the other lives around us on behalf of our own. Whether we are digging wild leeks or going to the mall, how do we consume in a way that does justice to the lives that we take? And that to me is, it's this question of sustainability is how can I consume in a way that does justice to the lives that I'm taking, whether it is a potato or a new (laughs) t-shirt, it, you know, it's all related. So 
I think she, to me, is really, as I'm reading this book, is really making this case that we need to reclaim a sustainable connection to the land. That that we used to have it mm-hmm. and we have very much lost it. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that kind of reclaiming and remembering? Yeah, I, I think that this question is the heart of if we will succeed or if we will fail as a human race with the conversation of climate change, of sustainability, and what our future and what generations upon generations upon generations in the future will live like. So I think it goes back to one, be out in nature. We are of nature. We have removed ourselves so much from the land, from our brothers and sisters who are animals and inanimate objects. We have to come back to nature. They talk about the benefits of nature, forest bathing, um, forest walks, outdoor walks, reduce our anxiety and our cortisol levels. Like we sh- being in nature benefits us. Yeah. If, if we are a selfish species, which I think we are, we need to recognize the benefits of nature in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls. Um, and then... I think the remembered question is beautiful because um, every beginning story, so Adam and Eve, um, I'm not sure what many of the other religions are, but um, the native story is about Turtle Island. Um, All beginning stories come back to us coming from the land. If we are going to survive for eons, we need to remember that. We talked about unlearning last week. When we remember, we also have to go through the process of unlearning We need to unlearn a lot of our current modern ways. And by removing some of those ways, Hmm. we can remember better. Um, What do you think? Yeah, I think bringing up unlearning is a really good point, is that we are just so surrounded by this culture of convenience that says, "Just, just do whatever's convenient. And a lot of times people like to do whatever's cheapest and not factoring in the true cost of what they're buying. Who is really suffering on the other side of that t-shirt? It's not you when you're paying $3 for it, but someone is suffering to get you that t-shirt for $3. And it is uncomfortable and hard to think about, you know, all of those types of things. But I think in regards to the land, Like you're saying, the most important thing is to reconnect with nature in the first place. And um, 
Or the water. Yeah. The water is so healing. Oh, yeah. Also. I miss living by the beach a lot. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I think reconnecting with the land and just learning what works for the land and what doesn't. Like, she talks about in Braiding Sweetgrass of, like, with particularly sweetgrass, this plant, indigenous women would go and harvest it to make baskets out of it. And she's, you know, and other teams have done research on it and they realize that the plant actually thrives better when these women would come in and harvest it because they do the, the responsible harvest. They don't just take the first plant. They only take what they need. They always leave some left. And then that process makes the plant thrive. When people stopped harvesting it, the plant withered. I mean, the the populations, the fields did not thrive of this plant. And I think what we need to remember and reclaim is that kind of relationship is the land is built to sustain us, but we are not living in inside of that covenant. I don't know if that's a good word to use. Yes. Like we've, Mm -hmm. we've breached it, right? Because we said... Well, no, I'm, I am going to take the first one. Or, you know, she talks about the salmon and people that just came in and were like, well, we're just going to take all the salmon. Well, and then the salmon didn't come back. They wouldn't swim up to that place mm-hmm. because it wasn't, you know, the covenant had been broken. They weren't being honored. They weren't, there was no motivation to go there. They were just going to be destroyed. And mm-hmm. I think learning those stories and understanding that there is a beautiful reciprocal relationship there can be a reciprocal relationship between humans and the land but we're not Mm -hmm. to use an interesting word capitalizing on that (laughs) yeah that is uh, ironic (laughs) but we're not right we've forgotten that that's actually more beneficial for us and for the plants and so we've we're now coming from a place that says, well, we have to do all kinds of unnatural things in order to feed and sustain this population. But I just don't think that that's true. You're not optimizing the functioning of the land and these crops and these animals in the truer definition of that word. I'm going to go back to your word capitalize, which indicates to capitalism which if we are talking about budgets actually makes sense if you're thinking about soil health so when you are gardening or farming you have to have some sort of input which means for me that's horseshit compost um other organic material that will um break down and add nutrients to the soil. Um, But then there's also financial protections. So that's leaving roots. It's leaving organic material to make sure that the soil is not compacted, but it has structure. It is able to absorb moisture Um, And then if you are able to provide those things to your soil, you actually get a withdrawal. Hmm. You get whatever crop you're you're gardening or raising and 
we don't have to unlearn everything, but if we continue to use old wisdom to guide science, to guide our economy, because farming is a huge part of our economy, if we're using old ways to guide our new society, I think we can be successful. Um, But like you said, it has to be in harmony with the covenant or the contract. Otherwise, we're ripping up the contract and the only entity that is going to fail at the end of the day mm, is yeah, us. Yeah, it's it's so hard though to to like enter into this conversation, I think, because mm. you know, I'm just kind of imagining people listening and it's a lot. It's hard and it feels I think it can feel kind of attacking or judgmental, you know, like you're doing this wrong and it's ravaging the earth and I don't know. I think with with a lot of important things, it's difficult. And it's about, like we both said at the beginning, it's been a process and we, yeah. and we have so far to go. Like you and I have been having conversations about this for years. Yeah. And like I said, coming into this, I still, I honestly kind of thought about canceling this episode because I was like, I'm not good at this. I don't know anything about sustainable living. <laughs> like I yeah. consume all kinds of things that I shouldn't. But I, I think just, you know, the first step to solving them is admitting you have a problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have a consumption problem. Yeah. We have a... Uh, lack of awareness problem we have a selfish problem there's many (laughs) problems find the one that like fits Hmm. your filter and and hold it and examine it yeah i think that's perfect actually that's a really good kind of way to to summarize hey this is a this is a huge topic and we acknowledge that but maybe there's one little nugget or piece that just makes you want to say, huh, maybe I could learn more about that. Maybe I could ask some questions. Doesn't mean I'm going to change everything tomorrow, but maybe there is something to that that I could learn from. Perfect segue. So we just talked about a little bit of our journey and how we, um, started in different places and have intertwined and learned along the way. Um, everyone comes to this conversation in a different place from a different place, going a different place. Um, what are some simple steps in moving towards a more eco-friendly life? Or if you feel like, Hey, I have reached the epitome of the eco life. You're living naked in the wilderness. <laughs> you wouldn't be listening to us, but you are like really regenerating the land. You're in harmony with all of our animal friends. Um, how do you go about educating others on this? 
Oh man. <laughs> Naked roaming Naked around the with the deer. <laughs> Just, what? Um, I think we've hit on a couple of things. I think paying attention is probably step yeah. one would be just notice the things that you consume. Maybe start to ask questions about where they come from. Um, mm-hmm. There are lots of like little speak, you know, I kind of mentioned carbon footprint. There are lots of little quizzes online you can take that tell you your carbon footprint and the the helpful thing about them, it's not about, oh, a guilt trip of you have a huge number. It's more of, well, maybe you pick the area that has the biggest impact on your carbon footprint and see if you can change one thing about it. Or maybe you pick the smallest one, whichever one's easiest for you to change, and you do that, right? It doesn't, yeah. any step is a valid, important, good, beautiful step. So I think that paying attention, kind of just starting to ask questions about your consumption And I also think kind of on the opposite side is recognizing your abundance, recognizing that you do actually have enough because our culture, all of these companies that make these products are trying to tell us that we do not have enough, right? You need the bigger house. You need all these new clothes because this is what's trendy and you need, I don't know, X, Y, Z. So I think even just an attitude shift of Mm -hmm. recognizing your abundance, being grateful for what you have, looking around you and seeing these beautiful things in your life. You know, I think that's can be a really important shift as, you know, just a first step. Yeah. Beautiful. I think for me, find something in nature that you would fight for or If you can't find something that you would fight for, find something in nature that you would be very sad if it was gone. Hmm. That brings you to a level of gratitude for what you do have currently and causes you to think if those things were gone, what led Hmm. to their demise? And from there, re-engineering how you can change how you impacted those things Hmm. because our environment is going through a transformation of a thousand paper cuts Hmm. and (laughs) it's not just the straws it's it is the big companies it is but Every consumer supports those big companies. So to think about, okay, I am a paper cut. What is, what am I contributing to this bigger picture? I think that brings you to a level of intimate Hmm. understanding. I like that perspective. I think also if you're educating anyone on sustainability or asking people to take sustainable steps. Um, I think you told me about this or maybe my mom, but Joel Salatin says, take the first step, whatever that is. Okay. You're going to start recycling. Great. Okay. You're like, no, you're going to do a no spend for one 
week to see what you don't spend or were tempted to spend or you you do decide to raise chickens or you put in herbs in your front like bed take that first step that you are comfortable with mm-hmm. once you have felt comfortable with it then move on to another step and that feels that's incremental change and that feels very doable right instead of saying okay you can't buy buy anything with plastic and you can't buy anything and you have to be growing your own food and you have to thrift all the time and don't take five minute showers you know like yeah no that that is overwhelming right <laughs> you can't drive your car any ma- anymore like those things feel overwhelming but in any thing in life if you're wanting to make a change or learn more just learn the next best thing yeah and I think it's also in regards to educating others mm-hmm. is kind of what you mentioned before is find the thing that resonates with you. And so if, you know, if you're kind of sharing with someone else, share a lot of different options for ways that they could engage with this theme, with this concept, and then just find the one that resonates with them. Because like you're saying, if you say you have to do all these things, or if it's judgmental, like that's not helpful. And honestly, <laughs> I have no. done some of that the wrong way. It's not worth it. <laughs> like yeah. the the end goal here, right? We said is, I said is harmony with people and mm-hmm. the land. And if you're creating these, like, not the word toxic, but like affecting your relationships in a negative way because you're trying to push this so far, that's not actually getting us to the end goal, right? Like it's okay to push people, but it's, needs to be handled with care, I think. Yeah, I saw um, a situation like this recently, and it literally was just over eggs. Like, someone was telling another person that they needed to look into, like, what is free-range eggs? What is cage-free eggs? And and the other individual was literally coming from the perspective of my eggs are a good source of protein and I pay 99 cents. I don't care how they're raised. I'm eating good protein. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, when you're having conversations about life changes, this is a life change. Mm-hmm. This is not, at at the core, the individual who's buying 69 cent eggs that person is not seeing the bigger picture right because they're literally saying i have 69 cents to buy a dozen eggs and i'm going to do that for my family and so the other individual needs to recognize where the egg buyer is coming from and i think that's the whole conversation of we all come to this conversation from different perspectives and we bring different values to the conversation. So when we have those conversations, it's about understanding and listening. (laughs) Yeah. And and meeting people where they're at and starting with steps that make sense for their life. Just kind of like you're saying, if it's someone that doesn't have a lot of disposable income 
then telling them to go buy these fancy sustainable brands is not going to be helpful. Exactly. Right? But discussing, like, not, like, getting some reusable bags so that you're not ever buying Ziploc bags anymore. Well, hey, now you're actually saving money. Right? You know, finding Mm -hmm. the ones that work with your lifestyle is going to be more, keyword, sustainable. (laughs) Because you can <laughs> you can keep the habit going, right? As opposed to one time you buy this super fancy sustainable shirt and then you can't ever do that again. Or and you know, and it can be the opposite too. If you have the extra disposable income, then great, do some research and find a company that is doing all of this, and then you can support them. And you know, maybe that's the easier way for some people because they don't want to do all the research or don't have the time or whatever but they have the income to be able to support those kinds of organizations. I do uh, think that we have to be careful about um, talking about buying because sometimes the most sustainable thing is opting out and not buying. (laughs) Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was thinking that earlier too, that it's, I think that often happens in this conversation is for me at least is like, which brands do I support? But that's Mm -hmm. only helpful if it's something Mm -hmm. you're absolutely going to buy anyways. The the previous conversation should be, do I actually need this? Can I go without? And then the, yeah, that's an important caveat. So Nicole and I are both coffee drinkers and we both have done extensive research on who do we support when we buy coffee. So I think, yes, if you're going to, like you are for sure in need of something. To me, coffee is a need. (laughs) Um, Maybe not for some people, but sometimes you can opt out and it's a different type of choice. So yeah, thank you for rolling with that one. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, hopefully that was helpful. This is definitely an introduction to this topic. It's something we want to talk about more in the future. Um, So we'd love to hear what you guys think, what you'd want to hear more about, because this is not the end of our discussing sustainability. Yes. Please send us follow-up questions or um, ideas or feedback for future explorations in this topic. Yeah, for sure. So feels very extra relevant talking about the land so much this time, but Catherine, (laughs) what's growing in your garden? I'm not going to talk about my garden because I feel like I do that all the time. (laughs) I think currently just um, with a lot of help with my therapist, a, a gentle relearning that... I have to fight for myself Hmm. and, um, and that I have to fight for what I think of myself. And, um, that's really hard sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, so it's been, it's been worthwhile work. Um, and it feels good to, you know, not every moment and not every day, but just occasional glimpses of me recognizing that I'm choosing myself. I literally <laughs> just looked at 
my I ha- I live and die by the sticky note, as my brother would say. We both do. Um, I have a sticky note on my laptop that says "Choose myself," Aww. so I like am always reminding myself of that. So, what about you? Oh, that's such a important, wonderful thing to be working on, to be growing. Thank you. Yeah, it's hard work. <laughs> yes, but worth it. <laughs> um, let's see. In my garden. I would say my mileage is growing. So I'm a runner. <laughs> We've talked about being runners before. Good girl. Um, yeah, I am officially again in training for a marathon. <laughs> so I have so many questions. <laughs> we can, yeah, we can talk. But yeah, so my mileage is getting up there. We're we've gotten past. 10 miles on my long run. So just, it's just creeping up there. It's growing, building my strong foundation, hopefully. Good job. Thanks. Ah, <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, I just also wanted to say thank you to our viewers. It's been so exciting to um, just see your responses and your support as we continue to release episodes so thank you so much for listening in and we really appreciate you yeah thanks for spending your time with us we hope it's Mm -hmm. valuable and we really appreciate it and we're just grateful to be doing this yep yep all right all of our sound production and social media is done by anna squires thank you and our web and graphic design is done by krista kilday thank you so much you guys can follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at cultivating space for now keep questioning keep growing and come sit with us again soon thanks guys